Welcome to Let's Be Well Together podcast. We're your wellness check-in team. We talk about different categories of wellness and seeking balance between them. It all stems from my book, Accidentally Well. And there's overview info on our website, letsbewelltogether.com. This is episode number one. A quick interruption before we even start. We took time to get things right before we launched. As an example, we asked for thoughts about our initial draft episodes. The feedback helped us finesse our format. This quick note before the first episode comes out of that feedback. We heard that it would be good to tell listeners a bit about us, that we don't mention who we are until well into the first episode. Great point. So we put out a short pre-show, which you can find on our website or your favorite podcast platform. The other place to look is our website. You're free to jump onto it to see more about us and what the show's about you'll find us at letsbewelltogether.com. Here's a condensed version. I'm John Webster. I studied philosophy at university and then turned to the profession of law. I'm a civil litigation lawyer in Ontario, Canada. I finally turned my attention to physical health when I turned 50, which reawakened my interest in the big questions in life and ultimately sparked an epiphany about holistic wellness. This podcast is an extension of my journey to better understand and seek balance in eight areas of wellness, which are shown on the website. Sammy Demarin is a co-host. She works in the real estate world. She's studied peace and conflict studies at university. She's looking forward to opening up conversations of wellness with different cultures and generations. How to be well and healthy in our own lives while building a community. I asked Cameron Earnshaw to join us because arts are important to me and important to wellness. Cameron is at an interesting time in his career. He's a full-time teaching, performing, and recording musician and a graduate of the Berklee College of Music in Boston. He provides perspective and tells stories from the road and the studio. Julie Wilson is helping behind the scenes and will be a co-host at times. Julie's a lawyer who plays an active role in a large international law firm and she's passionate about reducing stigma around mental health in the workplace. Sheila Webster is my wife. She's an artist who's been dancing her whole life. She ran a dance studio for 15 years, juggling many roles as the sole proprietor of a vibrant business. We've been married for many years. We engage in some fun banter in the flip side of the coin segment, chatting about wellness and even relationship issues. If you're looking for experts and advice, I'm afraid you're at the wrong podcast. But you are in the right place, the perfect place, if you're looking for a wellness check-in team whose goal is to remind you to think about wellness and encourage you to make wellness a priority in your life. You deserve to take time for yourself when it comes to wellness. Let's talk about wellness topics. Let's hear from people who've gone through challenges and overcome them. Let's open up a conversation in the hope that we can be well together. With that said, we can go back to our regularly scheduled debut. Enjoy. Okay, well, this is it, Sammy. It's our first show. All right, let's do it. (laughs) And the first to introduce our audience, the first segment of our show, we call What's on Your Mind. So one of us will just bring something up that we saw, something Mm -hmm. that we found interesting, Mm -hmm. and shoot the breeze. Okay. So in this case, I saw that you posted something about um, toxic positivity Mm -hmm. versus, sorry, it's genuine... Genuine optimism. Right. Yeah. And, you know, what are a couple examples of, Mm -hmm. say, toxic? Well, yeah, toxic positivity is more when you're with someone 
and they're kind of talking to you about what's going on in their life and it might be something that's hard for them but instead of being there for the person and really listening to them you're saying things like at least you know at least you know you still have a house or at least your son is still in school or at least uh yeah you're not really listening to the issue you're listening more to you're trying to like make them feel better by not actually listening and you're just being positive but overly positive versus genuine optimism is something like um you're listening and you're saying you know it's really important to let that out and it's really important to you know talk about it and I'm here for you if you need me what can I do to help you something more like that's you're there for the person versus being just not listening and just kind of shoving it to the corner if that makes sense okay it does so like what are some other examples that you'd you'd hear where someone what you call toxic Mm -hmm. um yeah so things like you know you'll get over it it's fine you'll you'll be fine oh it's whatever like or one of the big ones that was on this post is good vibes only which is used constantly within like our generation especially on social media oh yeah where it says hashtag good vibes only so it's you know there's no space to be sad or upset or angry we only want good vibes in this area which like having that is good to have when you're in a group setting like it's good to be happy but like you have to let people feel what they feel yeah no it's it's bringing so many things to mind i mean the first thing it brings to mind is how out of touch i am with your generation so yeah. <laughs> i'm glad you're here to keep me in touch but so for example i took um mental health first aid training mm-hmm. as part of a, a part of my work and mm-hmm. the idea it's similar to um it's similar to first aid where if you come across somebody on the sidewalk and they broke their arm how do you just help them you know help them get through that situation until right. until they can get help and yeah and it sounded really odd to hear that in the context of mental health mm-hmm. but and I won't really get into the whole thing, just other to say that for anyone out there in the workplace, if you look at the Canadian Mental Health Association, you right. can ask about that training and it might be right for you guys. Yeah. But um, one, of the, one of the hardest things for me as a lawyer is if you came, so the idea is if somebody at my job mm-hmm. is having a hard day or having difficulties, especially if they're you know, having serious mental health issues, a lot of us have something on our door that says, come and talk with me. Right. So they could come and chat. And so what was hard for me is that when they come in, they're supposed to say, you know, if they started telling you a story, especially one that isn't believable, you know, they're, right. they're hearing some th- somebody talking to them that you know can't be there. Mm-hmm. Or they went through an experience that doesn't make sense. So as a lawyer, I want to cross-examine them. Oh, can you just stop? I don't really understand. Right. Oh, can you just clarify? And even if I'm not challenging them, I'm asking them questions about it. And that's not very helpful. No. And it's kind of like what you're saying, positive vibes only. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not listening to them. I'm not, instead of saying, you know, what's happening, I'm trying to tell them what should be happening. Right. And so... Um, but the, the, you know, the better thing on that first aid basis is mm-hmm. to listen. Yeah. Hear them. For sure. Let them know they're being heard. Yeah. And a lot of the times when people do come to someone with something that's going on in their life when it comes to mental health, they don't need an answer. They don't exactly. need a way to be like, well, I, I can tell you if you do this, you'll be okay. But really, they're just looking for someone to listen and be there for them 
and be kind of an outlet for them to talk about what's going on in their life. And the other thing about what you said, if somebody, so I am not used to that phrase, positive vibes only, but. Mm -hmm. Good vibes, good vibes Good vibes only. (laughs) To me, that sounds like somebody telling me that I'm thinking something that's incorrect or mm-hmm. I'm not in the right headspace yeah. or I must be mistaken. Exactly. Which yeah. is the worst thing to hear at that point. Yeah, exactly. And people, I think when it like, you know, it's very much like a social media thing where it's like hashtag good vibes only or like no new friends. Like there's a lot of little like sayings like that, that aren't the most positive. They kind of seem like they should be positive, but if you really look into it and you think about it, like it's just kind of dismissing someone's experiences of like what's going on so have yeah. if you either you or talking to your friends um i just don't use social media very much mm-hmm. is there is there something you'd hear that's more comforting is there something or or do you just not get that through social media yeah honestly like social media is more of kind of an outlet of where you're only showing the good things and you're not showing the bad things right so if people do kind of share what's going on in their life and if it is more serious they don't normally use hashtags that are saying good vibes only or like keep going like that kind of stuff that's much more of a like a hyped up like you know I'm having so much fun good vibes only like you know all this stuff and yeah so I I haven't really come across any hashtags or any sayings on social media that are more of like I'm here to listen or you know let me know what's going on in your life like yeah not a lot of genuine optimism versus the toxic positivity where it's just you're just constantly showing people and that's why people get so much in their heads when looking at social media because they see all these people living their best lives but in reality like they don't know what's actually going on and maybe they think something's wrong with them because they're like these people are going on trips they are in a relationship they're in a really good health fitness journey and all this stuff so you start thinking what's wrong with you if you're not having the best time right so yeah, and so at some point I want to do it probably even a longer discussion with you mm-hmm. because here's something I've been thinking about. It won't yeah. work right now just because it's going to yeah. take t- more time. But mm-hmm. so I got off social media. Yeah. Um, and part of it was because of what you're describing, but part of right. it also was I was tired of I wanted to scroll and see what my friends were doing or my family was doing, and all right. I see is ads, ads. and yeah. a bunch of posts that they want me to look at. Mm-hmm. You know, they're trying to make money. I get that. Yeah. But I was finding like I was often looking and not seeing what I wanted. And then mm-hmm. when I did see what I wanted, I wasn't always feeling great. Yeah. So my answer was just to get off of it altogether. But I, you know, now that we're, for example, doing this podcast mm-hmm. and hopefully being able to interact with people and get their ideas. Yeah. Um, I wonder if there's a different approach. I wonder if it's time for us mm-hmm. to change social media in the way we interact with it. Right. And yeah. like, I don't know, I, I don't feel like I'm ready for that yet. I would need, if other people did it, I might join in, but yeah, but you know, how do you, for example, say I'm not having a good day? Yeah. And it's interesting because about, I don't know, eight months ago or something, I wasn't having a good day. So mm-hmm. I put on some weight in COVID. Right. I wasn't really running as much as I like. Yeah. And I just felt kind of frumpy. And, and so I put something on social media that just mm-hmm. said something like, you know, not every day is a good day. Yeah. I'm not having a good day. Yeah. And I was shocked because mm-hmm. I had more likes and good comments on that post than I've ever had. Yeah. It's because you're, yeah, you're being genuine. You're being real. Right. Yeah. And, and you're really saying like, what's, yeah, you're just, you're being who you are and people, people respond to like being genuine. Yeah. And so 
you know, so again, one day we'll talk about whether, mm-hmm. and, and again, we're not telling anyone what to do, but for mm-hmm. us, is it best to get off? Is it best to change our mm-hmm. way of approaching it? Maybe other people will. Mm-hmm. Um, Social media is going to be something we talk about often. Um, the impact is just astounding. Um, especially for someone like me who, who, you know, grew up without knowing what social media was, didn't exist. Guests are giving their time. Expanding our minds. So we are at the part of our show that we call Expanding Minds, and we're going to interview somebody each week today on the topic of mental wellness. And we're lucky to have Beth Beattie as our guest for our inaugural show. Beth's a lawyer, and I'm lucky because I had a chance to work with Beth when I started my career. We worked in the same firm, and she was a few years ahead of me, and it was great to have friendly and supportive colleagues like Beth to help me through a steep learning curve. Beth is Senior Counsel at the Ontario Ministry of the Attorney General Civil Law Division, Ministry of Health Branch. She's developed particular expertise in mentoring law students and junior lawyers on how to foster their mental health. And since 2000, sorry, January 2018, Beth has been a friend of the Bell Let's Talk campaign. Her story of living and working with bipolar disorder has been featured on television, radio, and in newspapers across the country. She works tirelessly to eliminate the stigma associated with lawyers who face mental health issues. In May 2021, Beth co-chaired the Law Society of Ontario's first annual Mental Health for Legal Professionals Summit. Thousands of lawyers attended. Thanks to people like Beth, we're making progress in eliminating stigma and helping people get the help and support they need and deserve. And on a personal note, Beth is one of the people who inspired me to open up about my personal life while sharing my journey towards wellness. I was deeply moved by her willingness to put a voice to an important group of people. So Beth, thank you very much for helping me personally and for being part of our podcast. Oh, John, thank you so much. It always touches me when I hear that someone sort of, they hear my story and then they reach out and they get the help that they need or they decide to go public with their story. It's, uh, it always uh, warms my heart. So thank you. And thank you for having me on. Yeah, I know that that could be a whole subject of an interview, just how it helps to help other people. And yeah. you can imagine that that's one of the things we're hoping to do on our show, which is just expose people to facts and information and ideas and with the hope that it, that it inspires people to work on themselves too. So, Absolutely. so where do we begin when we talk about your story, Beth? <laughs> well, um, it takes me back to when I was 27 years old and I was a first year associate at that firm that we were both at. Um, and, um, those places are pressure cookers and I, um, uh, got depressed, clinically depressed. And I saw a psychiatrist and I eventually went on, uh, antidepressants after being hesitant for a little while, because I thought, oh, taking psychiatric medication might be a sign of weakness, but eventually I tried and responded very well and quite quickly. So I did very well on, um, that medication and for two years I didn't have any problems and then I hit a point in my personal life and that work that was a very challenging time and I stopped sleeping and then I ramped up into a mania uh, sort of a hypomania it wasn't too severe that one Um, and I just would talk a lot it was hard to interrupt me I was euphoric 
very energized, um, speaking inappropriately, swearing a lot, <laughs> which is interesting for the people around me. Well, um, well if I could and- just ask you on that, because so, for example, I you were three years ahead of me. So I started I articled in 96 and I got called to the bar in 97. So I'm not sure what the time frame is. But, you know, my experience talking to you is you were kind of like a calming influence. So um it must be one of those things where there's there's kind of two sides to you at the same time. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Um, it's it's like I'm a real optimist for everyone around me, but not myself. Right. Uh, and I think I'm also very upbeat towards other people. Um, I also have an anxiety disorder, and quite often that plays out as being hard on myself, being a perfectionist. Uh, that sort of thing. So I, I'm not surprised that uh, at our at the time uh, that we were together that I came across as upbeat, and I was legitimately upbeat. Um, but I, like many of us, one in five Canadians, I was walking around with a mental health issue. Is that what the numbers look like in in today's world? One in five. One in five Canadians. Uh, that's um, the stat out of the Canadian Mental Health Commission. Um, and it's what Bell Let's Talk um, puts in their uh, materials. It's one in five. And and so, okay, so so that was in those early years. Um, was there then a period of kind of just moving along as best you could? Or, you know, at a certain point, what made you realize or look for help? Yeah. So... Um, for a period of eight years, I had a few depressive episodes and a few hypomanic episodes. And then I had a full on manic episode where I became floridly psychotic, thinking that my father was God and my nephew uh, was uh, the second coming. And that landed me in hospital for two weeks. Um, and that was a real wake up call. Like I realized, okay, something is really wrong here. Um, so I got the help that I needed at the time. Um, the problem was the stigma associated with being bipolar. Um, certainly, uh, the stereotype was and is that we are inherently unstable and unreliable. And I did not want to be seen in those terms um, as a lawyer, especially as a litigator. Uh, so I kept my illness quiet for 14 years. Did you know? Um, so you're you're using terms like bipolar, and you've used some terms. Frankly, I, I'm not. I don't know what they mean. Like hyper hypomaniac but hypomania did did you know um throughout these 14 years what it was you were suffering from or did you just suffer through it no i uh one of the things that i am blessed with is insight into my mental health issues so once i landed in hospital for two weeks and the psychiatrist explained to me what was going on i was on board like I never wanted to end up in hospital again. I never wanted to be depressed again. Um, So I paid very close attention to doing everything that I needed to do in order to get well again. Um, I did not know how long it would take to get healthy and if I would stay healthy because reading books and articles, most people with bipolar disorder after a major manic episode do get sick again. Um, So I thought it was just a matter of time. Um, so I really, with my insight, was able to take the steps to um, stay on the path to staying well. 
and that and but that was you know so that two weeks came after many years of kind of suffering through the situation eight years yeah okay. yeah and it, it wasn't all suffering right. by any means right. because again i i respond well to medication but for certainly for stretches um there would be weeks where i would not be doing what very well was there a reason why it was there something that would happen or an experience or a feeling that would make you want to go off meds at times or was it never just, no okay so you always <laughs> except sorry john i should yeah. say except when i'm manic Okay. then I will stop taking my medication because I just, I'm so out there uh, that I, I lose touch with reality and what my fundamental needs are. So, um, but anytime uh, that I'm not manic, um, I know to take the medication. Right. And, and so you were talking earlier about stigma. Um, what is it that people, wh- why is it that people don't want to reveal mental health issues at work? And, and that's part of what we're trying to cover today. Um, not, we're not telling people to reveal mental health issues at work, but we're just exploring, you know, what you did, what your experience was, and what you've heard and learned in that process. Yeah, well, I certainly was concerned because of the stigma, the, the thought that I might be unstable or unreliable just because I have bipolar disorder. Um, that kept me quiet for all of those years because I thought, A, I'll lose my job, or B, I'll be relegated to doing dog files for the rest of my career if people find out about my illness and my hospitalization. Uh, so that really just kept me quiet for all of those years. And so by dog files, so people who aren't in the legal profession, so you know they're, they're either files that aren't interesting or you're behind the scenes grinding at work while other people are in court or in discoveries. That's what we're talking about. Basic. Exactly. You do boring things. <laughs> right. <laughs> and um, what if anything, so if somebody finds himself in a position like that, they're, they're not, you know, they're not comfortable. They don't want to reveal um, what is it that they can do to help themselves or to think about um, in terms of moving forward? Yeah, I think it's, um, you, important to have a game plan in place and to have a team around you. So if, if someone has a a mental illness, it's important that they get medical care um, because usually it's wonky brain chemistry that causes illness, whether it be bipolarity, depression, um, anxiety. Um, So it's important to have a physician who can tell you uh, whether it would be appropriate to take medication to fix that wonky brain chemistry. Um, And then on top of that, as part of the plan to do things like working out, which I know (laughs) you're a big proponent of, um, getting in that that exercise, um, perhaps doing therapy, making sure that you get enough sleep, that you eat well, making sure that you're surrounded by people who support you, whether it's a spouse or family members or friends, just making sure that you have a team around you that you can reach out to if you're going through a difficult time. But, so, and that goes for everyone, by the way, yes. um, except for the medication. If someone's just going through a stressful period, it doesn't mean that they need medication. If they don't have um, a mood disorder, then they're not going to need medication, but everything else comes into play, the working out, the support from family and friends and so on. Yeah. And that's kind of what we're exploring in this whole show, which is the interrelationship between these different areas of wellness. So social, mental, and, and to me, um, there's some physical is one and mental is the other that has such a dramatic effect on all these areas. Um, and, and, 
you know, the one thing though is, so, so I think a lot of us have had an experience where we know somebody, we have a friend, we have a family member who we can tell is, is hurting or we can tell is going through something significant on the mental health side. Now you're telling us that it's important to get medical help. You're telling us that it's important to have resources, but unfortunately I've had experiences where I feel helpless. I, I try and I'm trying to be supportive of someone. I'm trying to direct them that they should get help and maybe they're not thinking straight, but I don't, wouldn't say it like that because I don't want to come across as antagonizing, but I'm trying, I'm trying to figure out a way to support them and suggest that, that they could use help. Just like if they broke their arm, they need a doctor. And right now they're not feeling well, they could use a different kind of doctor. But, you know, a lot of times it seems to me that the same condition that is creating an issue for the person is also making them not want help and not want to listen to their friends and family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that can be difficult. I um, I go back to insight and how much insight a person has into their condition. And I think when we're um, trying to help someone who uh, seems to be going through something, um, it's important to reach out to them and ask them what they need um, rather than us assuming what they need. Like one of the things that will <laughs> really put me over is if you tell someone who's living with depression, oh, go smell the flowers, right. that, that is not helpful, right? No. Like that is just not helpful. Um, but rather to reach out to them and ask them if there's anything you can do to help and support them. Uh, if it's a colleague, you might want to ask about an employee assistance plan, if there's anything in place, if there's a benefits program that would allow them to um, uh, see a therapist that would be partially uh, co- Uh, compensated Um, yeah so really get from them what they want rather than make assumptions as to what you think they need I like that idea at least in one case I mentioned to someone that they might have benefits and they did end up calling and kind of diffused the situation which was helpful so no that's a good point but what with you for example um, you ended up at the hospital. Was that all your own accord or did someone, <laughs> did someone help you there? <laughs> well, it was quite a, um, quite a, an experience. So, um, it was around the Christmas holidays, uh, and, uh, 2002 and my brother, it's a long story how my family finally persuaded me to go down to CAMH, the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, which is the main psychiatric hospital in Toronto. Um, and uh, my brother took me down uh, December 27th at two in the morning and um, we were we went to the emergency department and then we were put off to a room um, where I was going to be seen and Paul was getting really tired um, so he said he was going to go and find a coffee and then I was there for a couple of minutes and then I heard a bang come from the main emergency department area uh, and a woman's voice call out I need a lawyer. And she said it again, I need a lawyer. So I got up and I went around the corner and there was a young woman sitting there with a trickle of blood coming down her forehead and two police officers, one sitting on either side of her. Uh, And I announced, I'm a lawyer, how may I help you? And then, so the police officers stood up and they approached me and some staff members came from behind. And they escorted me to another room where I was uh, to be seen by the on-call psychiatrist. 
Um, and the universe was telling me to approach this doctor in a threatening manner. I wasn't supposed to hurt her, but I was supposed to approach her as if I was going to, because it was all part of this grand plan. So when she came in, I approached her threateningly and there was a button on the wall and she banged it. And this cold white rang out, which means that all the staff from the surrounding area are to converge uh, where the alarm went off. So all of these people come storming into this room and they grab me, kicking and screaming and haul me off to another room where they put me on a gurney and tie me down with four point restraints and shoot me full of antipsychotic medication. And that was the beginning of my two weeks at KMH. So literally kicking and screaming. Kicking and screaming because the universe was telling me to resist. Right. So, I mean, the good news is that, that you got some help and it did help. And so I was lucky because I've been, um, I, I've actually been to one of your seminars where you talk about the experience, uh, you tell lawyers about it. And one of the things I remember you talking about, you know, and I, I made some notes, was that you you now have an established routine and there's kind of four pillars to it, that you you limit your alcohol intake, you use medication, you do therapy, and you do exercise. And these different, these are things that work for you. Can you, can you yeah. speak a little bit about either some of those? Yeah, absolutely. Well, sleep, certainly if you're bipolar, you have to get enough sleep um, or you can um, become manic. Um, and then alcohol. I am a social drinker and I do enjoy having uh, a glass of wine with dinner, a pint of beer when I'm out with friends. Uh, but I limit myself. Um, I find as much as I enjoy alcohol, I don't sleep very well uh, when I have a drink. I can fall asleep okay, but then I wake up in the wee hours of the morning and it's a depressant. So I wake up feeling a little blue and a little anxious. Um, so before I have a drink, I'm really conscious of whether it's a good idea. If I'm worried about something, uh, then it may not be a good idea to sort of expand on, uh, or exacerbate that um, worrying feeling. Um, so you're and, saying that if you're going through a time where you're feeling a little bit of anxiety or worrying or that you feel like maybe something's just off, that's a time where you may not, you may pass up a glass of wine. Exactly. Skip cocktail hour. Um, and it's, in, it's interesting because a lot of people take the different approach. They're like, oh, I'm going through a difficult time. I'm going to you know, uh, have a few pints. Um, but really, it sadly is uh, a depressant and there, there are consequences to drinking. So um, I think everything in moderation and, and skipping uh uh, out on the fun sometimes is a good idea and and I'll do things like not go out for dinner because I do have a it's hard for me to be at a pub with friends and not <laughs> have a pint um, yeah so uh, I, I will limit how much I go out if I'm going going through a difficult time join us next week for part two of our interview with Beth Beatty I'm Cameron, and this is The Starving Artist. Since it's the first segment in the series, here's a quick rundown on what it's all about. In this part of the show, I'll be sharing fun stories, food for thought, and perspective on things from a musician's point of view. Here's a little bit about me. 
In 2016, I graduated from Berklee College of Music in Boston, Massachusetts, and since then it's been all things music all the time. I teach one-on-one -on -one music lessons over a variety of instruments. I play with Canadian rock band Shy Harry, where I play keys and sing. I've got my own solo singer-songwriter material, and a few other projects on the go as well. In addition, I'm a session musician, which means that I work with other artists in the studio, playing whatever instrument they need me to, to help bring their musical creative projects to life. When you put all this together, it means I'm playing all kinds of instruments across a variety of genres with ages and stages of musical development ranging from absolute beginner to total pro. With all these irons in the fire, there's never a shortage of things to talk about, and I look forward to sharing a few minutes each episode going through some of the fun stuff, some of the not-so-fun stuff, and everything in between. For today, I'd like to share a piece of advice that a friend gave me when I was in a bit of a hole over yet another gig cancellation. COVID's been really tough, of course, for everybody, but for the performing arts especially, all of our art shows have either been canceled or severely limited in terms of uh, attendance capacity or postponed or, ugh, it's just been brutal. And I was in a really negative headspace over this after yet another cancellation a few days ago. And a friend of mine reached out and said, hey, I saw this got canceled. How are you? And she checked in and I explained, you know, I'm, I'm feeling like garbage over this. And she gave me this awesome piece of advice I feel like all of us could use. She said, be less like sponge, be more like duck. That is, don't absorb this negative thing. Don't take it on. Instead, let it roll off your back like water would off of a duck. Keep paddling and stay afloat. It always gets better. I want to leave you today with a quick quotation that always pops into my head whenever somebody asks me what it's like to work as a musician. This is from Hunter S. Thompson. The music business is a cruel and shallow money trench, a long plastic hallway where thieves and pimps run free and good men die like dogs. There's also a negative side. It makes you think, eh? Maybe he knows something I don't. <laughs> That's all I've got for you for today. I'm Cameron. This has been The Starving Artist. Thanks for listening. Until next time. If you like what we're doing, please spread the word about us in social media and by good old-fashioned word of mouth. Subscribe to our show and rate us on your favorite podcast platform. Drop by our website, letsbewelltogether.com. Find us on Instagram at let's.be.well.together. We also have Twitter and Facebook pages. Post on Instagram and connect with us using the hashtag letsbewelltogetherpodcast, all one word. Move that body like we're meant to do. So you're going to hear a lot on our show about physical health because that's where I kind of had my breakthrough. Mm -hmm. And I've come to conclude that it's really critical for me to feel good in all areas that I take care of physical health. And that doesn't have to mean that I'm shredded or have a six pack, nothing like that. But for me, it's a combination of aerobics. And I feel best when I'm also doing some core exercises regularly mm -hmm. throughout the week and also strength, which are different. And we'll talk more about that. So yeah. on Move That Body, we are trying to encourage people to do that and talk about things related to it. So mm -hmm. one question I have for you, Sammy, is um, in terms of, you, you mentioned earlier that you do F45. Yeah. Um, but 
can you just generally speak to how you feel when you're in a groove and you're you're getting good physical exercise mm -hmm. and you're eating healthy? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So when I am in that groove and I'm working out regularly throughout the week and I'm eating better and you know even seeing people like that found that really helps my mental health. I find for me like I my energy level just like being able to then have a full day at work and not dropping in the middle of the afternoon or you know going out and being able to see people and have that like social interaction I find that that has a lot to do with you know working out and eating healthy and you just feel good about yourself so you want to be around others and you want to you know do a lot with your day you don't want to like sink into a couch and watch Netflix yeah and and I was trying to actually articulate some mm -hmm. of the feelings I was having and um, for example, like th there's kind of an electrifying feeling. There's, mm -hmm. it's, it's as if you can feel energy actually coursing through your body. For sure, yeah. Um, you can feel your muscles working. And yeah. the, one of the things that just blew me away is if I'm, in re if I'm really at the right shape and I sit down and I'm quiet, I can actually hear my heart beating. I can feel and hear my heart beating. Yeah, yeah. It's faint, but I can, it's, it's, cool. it's surprising. <laughs> so, but that's when you're feeling great. But yeah. then... Um, something we need to watch out for is overtraining or mm -hmm. doing too much. And let's just separate this a bit because for example, you can be doing all the right stuff, but you're not getting enough sleep. Yeah. Okay, that's different. That's right. just, you're not taking care of the sleep side mm -hmm. or you can be doing lots of exercise, but you're not eating right. That's different. But, mm -hmm. but let's say you're sleeping right. You're eating right. You're working out, mm -hmm. but you push it too far. What yeah. happens at that point? Yeah. So for me, um, you know, this might be different for everybody. And I find that sometimes when I get into that groove of working out and I'm like, yeah, I'm doing so good. I'm going like five to six times a week. I'm working out. I'm feeling good. I'm seeing people. I'll hit this wall of, okay, all of a sudden my body's like, okay, whoa, whoa, take a break. You need to rest. Um, and a lot of the times I find that I might get in that headspace of like, I need to do better. I need to, you know, see more definition in my body which means that I need to work out more and I need to do this or that um and then yeah I'll find like I start getting sick I might get a little bit of a cold I might you know just want to sleep constantly throughout the day I might find like my anxiety gets a little bit worse and it's it's weird because I'll be like I'm working out what's what's the issue but sometimes that is the issue where I'm not taking a pause and just letting me relax and just breathe and take a break and then get back into it. Yeah, it's it's a knife's edge. And if you step mm -hmm. over the ledge, you can go from feeling great to not only not feeling great, mm -hmm. but if you get injured, if you get yeah. sick, mm -hmm. now you're off your regular workouts for a while. And Yeah, and that's, that's something I find too, is that getting out of the routine is something I, I get scared of because I think that if I get out of this routine, I'm going to never do it again or I'm going to, you know, it's going to be even harder to get back into it. So that's something that will maybe make me push myself to that to that ledge of being like okay yeah and and I guess my answer to that would be I've been working really hard for a while on trying to find the right routine mm -hmm. and because it is important because there's many days today was a perfect example I didn't want to go for a run right um, but I know myself well enough to know that just put your stuff on get out the door mm -hmm. and you know and then within about 15 minutes I was so glad I was out there and it felt fantastic so the routine is good because it forces me out the door yeah but then if if what you're saying is you start a routine and oh I have to do this mm -hmm. even though it's not helping that's when I have to step back and say 
mm-hmm. that's not a good routine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got to get the right one. Yeah, for sure. Like when you when you can feel your body start like I'll just like start getting like you know a little bit of a stuffy nose or like a little bit of a sore throat, and I'm like, no, no, no I'm fine. I'm gonna keep going. And then my body's like, whoa, that's enough. And then I'll get like really sick, and then I have to take two weeks off because it's like strep throat or something. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, fresh air is amazing. Fresh mm-hmm. air is wonderful. Is. Without telling you what to do, let me encourage <laughs> everyone to go out and get some fresh air this week and uh, enjoy nature if you can. There's a thought. Popped up while running. This part of the show we called running pop-ups. The things that pop into my head when I'm out for a run. And I'm going to start with really the one that is the initiative for all of this, which is I had what I call an epiphany about wellness while I was out for a run. This happened quite a while ago. And um, after it sunk in, it took a little while to sink in. Uh, That's when I decided I wanted to put my thoughts on paper. Initially, I wasn't planning to write a book. I was just planning to put my thoughts down and possibly leave them for the kids to read. Um, You know, life is short. That's another theme in my book. And before we know it, we're gone. And so I wanted to just make a record of this thought that I had in case it helped other people. And so I have to kind of walk you through it. So normally this segment's going to be pretty short. This first one might be a bit longer. So um, when I was going to be president of a Rotary Club, I wanted to introduce people to me. And one of the things about me that I included in that little presentation was that I'm a to-do list person. Ah, boring, I know, but it's my way of getting things done. And so then I also thought, well, you need an acronym, so why not come up with something? And so I came up with Dress for Success, and the acronym is D-R-E-S-S. And in short, um, the D is determine your objective, R is research, how to achieve it, E is evaluation, figure out what you need to do, S, make a smart to-do list, you can Google that. Smart to-do list uh, is another acronym, but it's, it's a way to get things done. And the other S is for success. So that's in the back of my mind. And there's a lot of other things in the back of my mind, like the um, stuff that I learned in the mental health first aid training course and some other things. And meanwhile, the, the other connector was that I had come up with what I call the runner's check-in or my running check-in. I came into running late. I was in my 50s before I actually ever enjoyed it, Um, doing it slowly, um, building up distance slowly, and I was terrible at it. Uh, I was using the wrong technique, Um, won't get into it, but the point is I came up, um, I I read a lot, I watched some stuff, there were some great resources um, that I referenced in my book to basic technique, and I got better at it, so things like keeping my hips forward, running tall and that stuff. So... I had developed this runner's check-in where if I was out and I was feeling, you know, not, not that I was doing great or I was getting tired or something, I'd say, hey, wait a minute, go through your checklist. Hips forward, head up, chest out, that kind of stuff. And it worked. I would get back on track and I would feel good. So those were percolating in the back of my head one day when I was out for a run. And I was thinking about wellness. I was thinking about categories and balance. It's the great one of the great things about going out for a long walk or a long run. You, you have time to disconnect. It's almost like meditating. But um, the other thing that was in the back of my head is that 
I think uh, in retrospect, I used to think of what do you call it? Nirvana or balance or whatever you want to call it. I almost felt as if it was something that was going to come to me somehow, that, that it would arrive, that maybe some magical person would tap me on the shoulder and I'd be welcome to the club, that type of thing. So I'm running along and I thought, what if there's something I can do about it? Wait a minute. What if there's something I can do about it? What can I do about it? What, what if I'm active? What if I do something? So then the question is, what do you do? And that's when I started to think about the facets of wellness that I'd heard of in the Mental Health First Health training course. Things like social, mental, financial, and the rest of it. And so because of my kind of dress for success approach to things, I say to myself, okay, determine the objective. I want to be more well. Um, How do I get to that? Well, I like this thought of trying to think about the different facets. So then because I can break that down, how do I become well um, financially, for example, or physically? I was in the process of the physical So I think to myself, okay, well, step number one, let me identify what my categories, areas, I call them facets of wellness are. And so that's how I came up with my eight facets. So that's the first stage of the analysis. And then then what comes next? Well, okay, that's great. But I think you need to actually do something to foster wellness in that facet. And that's when I started making bullet point lists of things that I would come across either from experience or talking to people or reading about it or even Googling it because you can Google things like mental wellness and stuff like that. And I started making a bullet point list and I can see the types of activities I could actually perform to try and foster wellness in certain areas. And ultimately that's, you know, there's nothing magical about this approach. It's actually hard work Certainly nobody's going to tap me on the shoulder and hand it to me, but I now have a manageable path forward. I can, you know, sit back. And so now when we go to the running check-in side of it too, if there's a time in my life where I feel off and let's face it, everyone, it's often, you know, you can be really happy, but then all of a sudden not and happiness can be disguised. We will talk a lot more about that. But if you're feeling off, um, when those occasions arise, then my hope is that I can sit back and say, wait a minute, you know, what, what area am I having an issue with? And if I can identify the, the area, the category, the facet, what activity could I actually do to try and right the ship, to try and foster wellness there? And that's where I can look at these bullet point lists I'm putting together and try and find some that I can do, actually do things, to try and feel better. And um, so that's the exercise I'm on. And I'm writing down the lists. I'm trying to think about it. Now, it's not one of these situations, too. Like, the, the runners check in. I don't do it every time I go out for a run. It happens occasionally. And now, frankly, the, the longer I run, the less I ever have to do it. I almost never have to do it anymore. Wouldn't that be an amazing situation in life if you could go through a wellness check-in, a mental check-in, do activities, and ultimately get to a point where you rarely need to do it. So that's the dream. Um, 
this whole podcast. We'll be talking more about those concepts quite a bit because I want to spread the word. I want to talk to you guys. I want to find out how you can help me better understand the epiphany that I had and basically put meat on the bones. And um, so that's it. Uh, right, um, it's me. Am I? Yeah. Just let me say, flip side of the coin. Hi, everyone. This is Flip Side of the Coin, and I am Sheila Webster, John Webster's wife. And since it's our first show, I think we should start from the beginning. I was born. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, first of all, I was going to say welcome to the show, but of course, you're no more welcome than me. I mean, we're doing this show from our house, so. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but it's going all out there to all these millions of people. Yes. So. If you divide all. by a lot of thousands. Right. Well, we've got to start. Start. High, high hopes. Right. Anyways. So where do we start? Um, So just a little bit about us. So um, I I grew up in Waterloo. I grew up in Kitchener. And I was working at a restaurant in downtown Waterloo as a busboy a couple years ago. (laughs) And um, just as I was about to make a transition to bartender, Sheila started working as a busgirl. Right. Yeah. That's how we met. Right. Well, actually, it was interesting because they the restaurant that we worked at made us do the cleaning on the weekends because the cleaning lady didn't work on the weekends. So the bus people used to have to clean. And because John was a bartender, he had to set up the bar early on Sundays. My sister and I always worked as the cleaners. But we spent the first hour eating ice cream and playing video games. <laughs> and then we went crazy cleaning for the last hour because we cleaned for two hours. Yeah, so Sheila and her whole family are like super cleaners. They are able to <laughs> clean faster than anyone I know. So it's not like they were not doing anything. So yeah, but that was that was quite a while after we first met. We we kind of first met and we were friendly, but we didn't really talk very much. We didn't know each other very well. But those uh, sessions when we were we basically had the the whole restaurant to ourselves. Yeah, and you know we'd be working away and just chatting and. Got to know each other that way. Yeah, because he was really good at video games. That that impressed me. Wow. <laughs> my first job, <laughs> my first job ever was at uh, Sobel Beach working in an arcade, which was amazing. That and I worked, for example, when Space Invaders came out, when Asteroids came Pac-Man, out, Pac-Man, Miss Pac-Man, and uh, just loved those games. There was a pinball games I just loved. So that is the historic me. Yeah. So I think that's how I first. Fell in love with him <laughs> because of video games. I thought it was uh, sitting on the bar. Yeah. Or something. Well, it was also those crazy things. I studied philosophy at the time, and um, I'm probably a bit of a goofball when it comes to joking around. Yeah. And so, at one point, I did something that I just thought was just ridiculously silly, which was I got into kind of a yoga pose on the bar and said "Om." <laughs> And and I was like, what are you doing? Because I was cleaning the bar. I was cleaning the brass on the bra- bar. And you sat on the bar and decided that when you grow up or <laughs> something, you were going to be on a mountain in Tibet and right. meditate. And so you were practicing or something. Because you were wondering why anyone would study philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> and that was my answer. Which I still that. wonder. No. So that was that was kind of the young man's version of the, the old dad joke that are terrible. But that's what I thought. But for whatever reason... Struck you in a different way. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was, I thought you were interesting and funny. Oh, I'm, we should do these sessions more yeah. often. This is great. 
So that's so how that, we met. Yeah, and it was, and so, um, and Sheila was a dancer at the time. Um, she was studying ballet, and she was doing um, shows at our local center in the square, which is a nice um, theater. She she was in a really a really great and advanced uh, ballet company of basically kind of the the cream of the crop kids from the area, and I never really knew that ballet was so difficult. So <laughs> she she I would sometimes meet her. At the studio, we'd go out for coffee. And, well, it's um, funny because if, you, like when I was growing up, I'm the third youngest of 10 kids. And my sister and I both danced together. So basically we were just like one person. We were always together. But we had to basically go to school, go to dance and come home. We, we couldn't like dilly-dally or do anything else. So the only time John could see me was if he right. came to the studio because he'd always say hey when can we hang out or what can we do and i'm like oh i've got to dance tonight or i have to work but and by coincidence i was taking kung fu at the time and right. my my kung fu studio was a block away from the, the ballet studio now the other thing about that was um they had Sheila was being taught by a, a former east german ballet dancer and Super nice guy, but when he was teaching, he was tough as nails. Yeah. I didn't know that because the only time I ever saw him, I'd come in, sit down outside to watch the class. Usually when I went, a lot of times he was actually outside and someone else was teaching and we got along famously and I couldn't figure out why the the women would come out of class and they'd look at me with this kind of shocked look because I was <laughs> laughing with Mr. Mr. Yuka. Darren Yuka. <laughs> You so, say, yeah. And anyway, but uh, I, I guess apparently he didn't talk to everybody in that friendly way. So, well, he didn't talk to us. He didn't. Right. He he eventually, like later on, did, but not during class. He was a very serious teacher. But right. then it was really funny because he liked John a lot. I don't know why he. You must have made him laugh. I don't know why, but it got to a point where I, we'd be rehearsing and. The teacher would be sitting up front watching us dance, and John would be sitting beside him. And we'd be dancing around and dancing like crazy. And he'd turn to John and say, so what do you think? I'm like, uh, are you serious? I know. Maybe this is a good time to end because we're we're <laughs> the, near the end. But the, the one time I made this huge mistake and I actually said something. Like, 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 and it wasn't, it wasn't, wow, they're the most amazing people in the world. I was like, well... Maybe this one section could use a little improvement or maybe a little more energy here. Or they're and, not together. Or they're not hurting oh them. <laughs> and the, like we're all like, oh, my God, buddy, you get up here and do this. Which I couldn't because it was really hard. So anyway, I never said anything again. Needless to say, you realize that dancers worked very hard. Okay. Well, that's great. That's our first intro for today. And uh, come join us each week and you'll learn a little bit more about us. And we will eventually start talking about stuff. <laughs> but uh, but for now, we thought you just want to get to know us a bit. Yeah, thanks. Bye. Side effects of this podcast could include... <laughs> no, but seriously, please remember that we're not providing advice. We hope to inspire you to work towards balance, and we urge you to consult with qualified people if you need advice. The people on the show are speaking in their personal capacities. Their views expressed are their own, and don't represent the views or opinions of their outside contacts, their employers, or anyone else. We try to get things right, but we can't guarantee everything we say is correct or that the things we talk about will work for you. Let's be well together and let's be sure to do that in a safe way. So this is the end of the episode. That was fun. A lot of fun. Great. So this section we do live. Coming to you live from John's basement. Some of the other segments we do do weeks in advance, but this one we like to try and keep it fresh. So Sammy, what are you up to this week? 
Yeah, this week um, I'm still recovering from COVID. So I'm going to slowly ease myself into um, going to yoga and just kind of working on my breathing. And I'm really excited. I'm trying out this new place in Uptown Waterloo. Oh. Yeah, called Hero Yoga. So I'm going to go give that a try and do their unlimited month. Oh, good. That's exciting. That's what I got going on. Great. What about you, John? Well, I... It's a funny because we're at the start of all this and I realized that throughout throughout COVID, now we're at the end of it, I've done a really bad job on a few things. So even though I kept up on my running, I've been doing that mostly th- four times a week, but lately I've dropped to three. I totally fell off my core exercises, which is something I like to do five or six times a week. Haven't done any strength training in a long time. Basically after um, I deferred my London Marathon, so I got into London this year for early October, but deferred it till next year and just kind of let everything go. So I know from experience, I just got to start slow. So my main thing this week is this week, starting the podcast, really exciting. And this week, I'm going to try five times to do my 10 minute core exercises every day. And then if I can get that going, then maybe next week, I'll add something else on top. Oh, that sounds good. Perfect. Good luck. What about you, Sheila? Well... I kind of feel like um, like a groundhog because Groundhog Day is coming up. I feel like I'm a groundhog coming out of its hole and like kind of going, ooh, what's going on? Because <laughs> everything's going to start opening up. And I'm really excited because then we can go back to the gym. I found it really hard, especially because it's been so cold this week and mm-hmm. last week, to get outside and exercise. But I have been doing it, but I don't want to. <laughs> I want to go to the gym. I want to see people and smile at people. So I'm excited about that. Okay, well, let's all of us try and get those things done. All right. Yeah, let's do it. That is it for today's show. Please try and make wellness a priority. You deserve it. If you feel the need to talk to someone or ask for help, please do that. Accept yourself for the person you are. So long. Adieu. Auf Wiedersehen. Goodbye.